favorite sections of Scripture. I like Philippians a lot. But now we're getting into what I call the wheelhouse of comfort. Yeah, chapter 2, verse 5. Y'all remember when I first came here, I started doing these whiteboard lessons. It was out of Philippians, chapter 3. And chapter 3 is, I think, probably one of the most powerful chapters for a Christian faith. That, that one in Romans 8 are so powerful. And, but I, I like some other ones too, so <laughs> it's hard for me to pick a favorite. But uh, this one is talking about the nature of Christ. Two. I thought you said three. No. Two. Two and verse five. Okay. In Philippians. Yes. <clears throat> and when he talks about the nature of Christ, he precludes it with the very first verse five. He says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, the mind that was in Christ was totally obedient. We're told in Scripture that He learned obedience through suffering. Jesus did. But He was still obedient even in suffering. To the greatest extent you could suffer, He was still obedient. And that's how he learned it. But it, but when it says the mind in you which was also in Christ, this picture of Christ is very, very vivid. It's one of those description passages about Jesus that just stirs my heart. It says that Jesus was in the form of God and He did not consider it to be robbery to be equal with God. Now that's verse 6, right? When it says that He was in the form of God, that means He was spirit. Before He came to be one with us, He was spirit. Does that make sense? I mean, it's not real hard to figure that. But, there are other spirits, but His was the exact form and spirit of God. That spirit of love that God is. Angels aren't that spirit. Demons, devil aren't that spirit. Jesus is the form of the spirit of God. With God, but not God. But He did not consider it robbery, or as uh, the footnote says, He didn't consider that he had to hold on to it to be equal with him. Like a trophy. I have to have this type thing. And he did not consider it that he also took something from God to be equal with him. Now, it is a difficult passage when you look at other passages of Scripture to pull that into understanding when it says to be equal with God. By equal with God, it does not mean in power.
power or authority. It means equal with God as in one in purpose, one in mindset, one in direction. And he didn't vary from that. Not even here on earth. Okay, so that's that's what that verse is talking about. Um, but here's the mindset. Jesus exalted with the Father. Getting some of that glory. But He didn't hang on to that. He let go of that. He became nothing. And what's really hard for... I would say most people to grasp. It's hard for me to grasp the, the depth of it, the, the the size of it, how high exalted he was to become flesh and blood. We don't see that because we are flesh and blood. We don't understand what Christ's exaltation looks like. We don't understand that. We don't understand exaltation whatsoever. We don't understand God's glory. We've never been up there to talk about it, to see it. So we can't say, wow, you're way up there and you came down here. All we can say is He came to be with us because He was God and, and, and we're limited. It's hard to explain that, but it would be like, I guess, our president coming to the city streets to reside with a homeless person and be homeless with them. But you're the president. You're supposed to be up there running the world, you know, the country and everything, and you come down to be with me. And he said, I may be exalted as president, but I come down to be with you. And and that's just a small gap, because, you know, quote, unquote, anybody can be president. Not anybody, but you know what I mean. Anybody who's elected can be, qualified. But Jesus... This level of distance between humanity and God is huge. When it says Jesus bridged the gap between us with his death and resurrection, a lot of us like to think, well, the bridge probably a couple miles long, you know? No. No. It's a bridge so large you could not walk your lifetime and cross it. It's a chasm so wide you could not build something to cover it. It would be like a bridge from here to the furthest star in the universe is how far He came down in glory to be like us. And we, we can't fathom that. And so, since we can't fathom that, it's hard to have the same mind as He did to say, I'm letting all that glory go to become lower in glory and honor because we don't know what lower in glory and honor to that extent is for us in our lives. So if we don't know the gap, how do we have the mindset to say we need to lower ourselves the same way? That doesn't mean shamefully Jesus was lowered. He did it to help us. He did it 
out of the Father's love for us. He debased, if you will, His Son to raise us up with Him. When Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are seated with Christ at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, I think we blow the, the significance of that verse. We can't understand it. So we just go, yeah, I'm seated up there with the right hand of God, you know, all that. We don't get that. <laughs> I don't think we understand what that is. And, and the reason is because we can't fathom that. Because we don't know what kind of exaltation we have. Otherwise, we'd never question God's love for us, His power in us and through us, and the impact we make on the world when God is in us. We'd never question God's power through us if we knew exactly how exalted we are. The devil can't reach us there. The devil can't touch us at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And he certainly can't shake us out of there. But we have walked around defeated as believers. Because we don't have the mind of Christ. Well, I'm just a person. I'm just, you know, I make mistakes. And we look at it like it's us. But we're not. The mind of Christ, this is, this is kind of juxtaposed, if you will. Juxtaposed, not juxtaposed. Juxtaposed position. Christ comes down to us, right? To have the mind of Christ means we go up to there. Not we go lower. We're already at the low. We're already at a world of sin and darkness. So to have the mind of Christ means I belong up there with my Heavenly Father. I'm going to put it up with this world for a while, but I belong up there. That's my home. That's my calling. This is not my home. This world can't satisfy me or make me happy enough. Only being with my Father can. And that's the mind of Christ. But we, we look at it like, well, I'm supposed to talk like Jesus did, walk like Jesus. No. To understand where we belong. Jesus knew that's where He belonged, but He came here to be humbled. No. To humble Himself so that He could bring us up. He didn't do it, I'm going to go be miserable. It's not what He did. He said, I'm going to go down there and humble Myself, not humiliate Myself, but bring Myself to a lower level to bring those I'm going down to up with Me. It'd be like royalty Stripping off all their royalty because a peasant isn't allowed in the presence of the king. And the king strips off all his royalty to go down to the peasant and say, I want you in my chambers today. This is your home. You may not know it because you don't have royal blood in you, but I'm giving you my throne. And you're going to be my throne with me. But right now, I just want you to know that. I'll be back someday to get you, but I can go back to the throne. And one day you're going to be in there with me. I promise you this. And the peasant lives out his life going, what? Here's the mind of a man. I'm just a peasant. The king says he loves me and I got a throne, but he's never come for me. He never works power in my life. He never does anything for me. So how do I even know this is true? How do I know he even really meant it? But to have the mind of Christ is to say, I am royalty. The king never lied. He told the truth. I belong there and I will be there. Because he said so. 
Not because of what the world says, not because of what the other peasants around me say, but because the king said so and he has all divine authority. That's the mind of Christ. I belong with him. That's my home. This world can't take it away. And it didn't give it to me. Jesus did. So he humbled himself, but he didn't humiliate himself. He came down, stripped off his Godhead to be on our level. And that's why I like this passage so much. It's really powerful. And it says, he made, here's a good way of saying it, verse 7, he made himself of no reputation. He stripped off his claim to fame. I'm nothing now. I'm not the Godhead. I'm a human being. But my heart is for God. And I'm going to show you that you can do it down here and live for Him no matter what people do to you. And He did it. Right? And He took, it even says, He, he took the form of a bondservant and came in a likeness of men. I don't know if you catch this or not, but he came as a baby, right? And he grew up under Mary and Joseph's parenting, right? But it said he was a bond servant. Anybody know what a bond servant is? Any idea? It's not a slave. It's a bond servant. There's a difference. The slave is under your, you know, until they die. You may know what. So you pay off your debt. That's right. And he did. He was here until the debt he came to pay was paid. What debt did he pay? Yours. Mine. He came as a bondservant to be indebted until our debt was paid. When he had paid it, he could go back. Now listen, important. If he paid it and he went back, the debt's gone. The world has nothing on you. The Scripture even says the world has nothing on you. There's nothing in your record against you. He paid the debt. How do you know? He's no longer here. <laughs> he did his bondservant. It wasn't something he owed to somebody. He took ours by choice and paid it for us. But he didn't leave until the debt was paid. Because a bondservant stays and does the work of the servant of who the debt is owed to. Until the debt is paid, and then he's free from it. And when he's free from it, here's what it means. You return to your homeland and your inheritance. That's how this looked like in, in practical terms, okay? <coughs> Suppose someone <coughs> wanted a piece of land or wanted to purchase some property and didn't have enough money to do so. And wanted to buy a piece of land just give an example. Say we're, I'm going to use local instead of over there. It makes it a little simpler. Say someone from Mayfield wanted to buy property in Mayfield 
and provide for his family in Mayfield, but he couldn't afford to do it. And so he took out a debt of guarantee as a bond servant to someone who would then purchase and provide for them and provide the finances for the in term of that servanthood that would give him enough when he left. So that he would, I'm just going to use simple figures, needs a million dollars for all your life expenses and to cover your family for the time you're in servant and to cover the rest of your life. So you're going to come and work for me for 45 years. At the end of 45 years, the debt notice canceled of the million dollars. You go back to where the land is that you purchased. That someone purchased for you. That was your home. That was your family's home. And once you're done serving, you don't have to serve anymore. So you go back home where you belong. That's what Jesus did. He went back home where he belonged. In Colossians it says our home is with Christ. In God. Seated in heavenly places. Colossians chapter 3 says that he's our life and we're hid with him in God. He is our home. Jesus said this in John 14, that great passage they read at funerals. Let not your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many places to live. And I'm going to get yours ready. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you there because your debt's paid. And when your life is over and you finish serving God, I'm going to bring you to your right place. You don't owe anything for this, but it's not ready yet. So you got to serve out as a servant of God, a slave of Christ, as Paul likes to say, because this isn't your home. You're serving God who's preparing things for you over there, here. And so if our focus is, man, I got to get ahead here, I got to get alive here, I got to take care of this over here. And we never think about the eternal things in our life. What home are we focused on? This one. And we say clearly, we believe that home isn't ours. But this one is. But I promise you, 100 years from now, none of the possessions we have right now will we have. They will not be in your name. None of them. They probably won't even exist unless it's land. It's true. Most of the homes will be caved in, replaced, paved over, burnt, whatever. Torn up in a storm, you never know, right? But a hundred years from now, all that stuff is going to be gone. And you won't need it anymore. And yet you work so hard for that, which is only yours for a short time. What kind of effort in serving God to bring others with us to the right home to get people to understand this isn't home? This world hurts. It's painful. Yes, it is. But thank God you don't have to stay forever. There you stay forever if you live like that here. So Jesus came down to be a, a, a servant that owed a debt. No, that took on a debt. See? And paid it and went back. Our debt is paid. How then... 
do we have the mind of Christ? Two things. First one, we understand that this isn't our home. We kind of explained that, right? That our home is with Christ in God, seated at the right hand of Heavenly Father. That is our home. The second thing is, is that we live our life here for His purposes. Now you say, well, well does that mean I can't pay my rent? <laughs> Don't pay my mortgage? Don't pay my electric? Is that what that means? It doesn't say anything about that. It says the world gets the things that belong to the world, but your heart and your devotion and your affection belongs to God. Nothing comes before God. And yet, we don't understand that. And I'll give you a real simple principle that took me a long time to learn. In 2009, my mother passed away. I also um, had stopped working at the pasta house. A mentor had passed away. Um, the job opportunity that I was thinking would be mine happened to end when the owner of the business committed suicide. And uh, it all happened within 30 minutes. Oh yeah, in the same day my wife received a diagnosis of cancer. Five phone calls in 30 minutes. After the last phone call, I looked at the phone and says, don't you dare ring again. And so, all 2009, I'm just in this depression. Stuck. Don't know what to do with life. Fumbling here. Throwing newspapers is a job. I didn't have any other work. My wife was working at Heartland at the time, and that's how we paid our bills. And I would throw newspapers just to get us over the hump. There were days when our rent Days. There was one month in that whole time where we had to pay our mortgage only half of it and then the rest of it a few days later with a, with a late fee. And the whole time we lived paying rent. But there was a day when I sat there and I said, God, we don't have enough. And we're not going to make this month. And since we're not going to make it, we might as well give you yours first. And we tithed. Wife had been trying to get me to do it for a long time. We tithed. Gave God's His first. We had enough to make it through the month. And I go, how'd that happen? How'd the money get go further with less? I didn't understand it. Tithed again the next month. We made it through that month. Tithed again the next month. Made it through that month and had a little extra. And I'm going, how's this happening, God? And he's saying, well, don't you understand how this works? You put your affections on me. I'll take care of your needs. You take care of me and our relationship. You covet that. You protect that. You honor that. And have the mind of Christ that that's where you belong and this world can do whatever it wants. But if you honor me, I'm going to honor you. And so no longer was I worried about whether or not I could pay this stuff. I was just saying, i got to have enough to give God 10%. And as long as I had something to give Him, I could give Him 10%. And that's what we were doing. 
2010 starts rolling along. I'm still throwing newspapers, but we're still making our bills. Still have just a little extra. And 2010 rolls along in the census. I worked for the Census Bureau. Began to make Census Bureau profit money. You know, the government even paid my mileage to drive my vehicle. And while I was doing that, I heard of another job selling credit card processing. So I started doing that. And all of a sudden from making $160 a week throwing newspapers, which is like nothing, to $750 a week doing this credit card stuff, and $400 every week for the census, and all of a sudden, I'm going, I got more money, I can do what I want. And, and my wife's going, no, we got debt. And I did, because I let all my debts go to collection, but I was kept hers faithful. And uh, in that moment, this is really cool, in that moment, I said, look, I got more. And God said, yep, but you can do it. I said, you get the first 10%. And we never missed a payment on any of her cards. And I told her, I'm going to let mine go to pot. We're going to get your credit good. And it was an act of wisdom. Because when we needed, in 2011, to purchase a home, my credit couldn't help us. But hers was strong enough that we were able to finance a home and move in where we are now in 2011. Now get this. Census is over. And all I'm doing is the credit card stuff. And I'm only making like 300 400 a week now because they changed the pay pattern. But we're still making our payments. And we still have money. And I'm going, how's this happening? I said, I don't know, God, you're weird, you're weird, I guess. I'm honoring you and less is going further. How? I don't know. But there was never a time where we went hungry or missed any payments as soon as I started making tithes. Now, now, why am I saying this? Because if our heart isn't first toward God and it's more for stuff down here, God knows that. He does. I'm not saying... Oh, shame on you if you're not dying. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, you belong with God. And we don't know this because we had a mind of Christ. We think the mind of Christ is, what would Jesus do? No, it's who He is, where He is. And that's where you are. And that's where you belong, is with Him. And so when He came to be with you, so you could be with Him. He came down to bring you up. And yet our mindset is still on this level rather than understanding how far up we really are exalted in Him. This world cannot, cannot defeat a beloved of Christ. Scripture says, touch not thine anointed. David said that about the king, right? Saul, touch not thine anointed. You are an anointed child of God when you belong to Jesus Christ. That touch not means this world can't touch you. It cannot destroy this relationship. And when you honor it, it can't touch you in this one. It can't affect you with this, with this. 
Well, you're going to have tough times. You're going to have some dangerous moments and challenges for sure. May even get wounded. But this, as long as you honor it, God's going to honor you and bring you through stuff. But here's what's really neat. It says that He came in the likeness of us and being found in appearance as a man, became uh, He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. The death and the death of a cross are two different things. Anybody can say, yeah, sure, you know, stone me. That takes minutes. The death of a cross takes hours. So he chose the worst kind of death. Verse 9. And here's where it is. The mind of Christ. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Jesus has a name above every name. We, we, we miss... It's hard to explain, but you kind of see the levels now. Down here is one level. The name of Jesus above it all. High above it all. And His name is there. That, and when someone says His name, it says, Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, it's not saying like, believe, confess, like I worship you, confess, but that every thing below Jesus' name, which is everything, would look up and say, He is above me. He is truly Lord. When you have the mind of Christ, that means you understand He is truly Lord above it all. He is ultimate. That's the mind of Christ. That you understand that, but you also understand you belong there. And never let someone put you down or destroy you or say you don't belong or you're not worthy. Or you're unqualified because God has said you are above every other name in Him. And nothing can defeat you. That's the mind of Christ. This is awesome stuff. But we just miss it because we go, well, He humbled Himself, so i got to humble myself. It's not what it's saying. You can't see that far down how far He came. You're already in a humble position as a broken individual. You have a debt you cannot pay. That's humble enough. Knowing that. And knowing that He paid it so you could be exalted. Wrap your head around that and begin to praise Him and thank Him every day of your life for it. That is what we're talking about. That's good stuff. And that's the Gospel. Any thoughts, comments? Questions? You make you make a good prosperity prosperity minister. I don't know if you have ever seen some of these guys that are going around preaching about prosperity. Yeah, it's absolutely correct. But they preach it a little different. Yeah, they say sow a seed to the church and God will bless you. <laughs> That's how they do it. Sow into my ministry and you'll get a prayer cloth and you'll be blessed. Wow. It's not how I see it. There's two different ways to look at that. Yeah, there's 